Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I am Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Remember that this podcast deals with adult themes, so if you don't have privacy, you might wish to put on your headphones. Today, I'm continuing my series about gender. Last week, I just started my discussion with Melvin Marsh, and today we're continuing that discussion. If you haven't heard part one, do go and download it and have a listen. Melvin Marsh is a certified hypnotherapist specializing in medical hypnosis, phobias, and anxiety, with an additional interest in helping LGBT patients. Not only is he one of the few hypnotherapists who specialize in providing LGBT culturally competent care, he is one of the even fewer who is trans himself. As a transsexual himself, he's faced more than his fair share of troubles, but still continues to educate others on issues related to the transgender community, even at risk of his own personal safety. He was an invited guest for three years at Emory University School of Medicine to teach the first year medical students about how to work with transgender patients. Unfortunately, this did not carry over to his own medical school where he was harassed often for being transsexual and he was forced to drop out due to the near constant harassment. He socially transitioned in 2002 and medically transitioned a few years after that. Welcome back, Melvin. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's my pleasure. So where we left off last time was we were talking about the importance of screening and therapy for people who are choosing to transition. And um, we had been discussing the surprising facts that there are actually quite a number of people who transition and then find um, not too long later that actually they're not happy with their new gender assignment. Luckily, most of those people have only gotten to the point of socially transitioning, sometimes for a few years, and then detransition. But uh, a lot of people, you know, keep saying that that, that it's that it's that it's bogus that that every transgender person that transitions medically is happy. Uh, the, the vast majority are. There are some that that are not. Um, usually, 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 by the time they get to medical, it's fine. But there are people that are, that are that are not. I was just reading something about this uh, person who's so who has a transgender child, and they're adamant against how incorrect the 80% um, detransition rate is. And I'm like, that's almost where I've seen it, and I've been in this community for 15 years. Most people don't get to the one stage, and but people, you know. I know that people do. I know that people do because I've treated a couple of people. Um, who had actually had some surgery um, and and then decided that they wanted to transition back. And I didn't treat them until after they transitioned back. Um, and I, 
to be fair, I was treating them for trauma, but um, it, what, what both people that I, and so it's a small sample, only two, but both people that I saw did not have adequate therapy before transitioning. Um, I don't know how they managed not to, but they didn't. If you have enough money, you can bypass the therapists. Right. If you find shady doctors, you can bypass the therapists. And I, I, to me, it's quite pick the therapists if you really want to. And I, and I imagine I imagine that it is really a difficult balance because on the one hand, the professionals want to be sure that that what these people are doing is going to increase their happiness. They want to be sure that this is really what they want because it's a big deal. On the other hand, if you are too stringent and you and and you you question someone too much, you you could give them the idea that you're just disapproving. And then there's other people who who um who are so worried about uh, about being disapproving that they're not asking the right questions at all and are just like, "Oh, this person's trans. How do you know?" You know, a huge amount of people do go through a, a trans-like stage um, and but if you're putting people on you know you know on hormones at that point that's kind of bad or hormone uh, hormone blockers maybe not so much bad but but still and people are so, so trying to be supportive sometimes that they don't ask the, the questions that need to be asked in the right way so what, what, what questions, what are the ones that stand out to you that absolutely need to be asked? Um, I actually, you know, I appreciated when um, I was asked about the history of me, you know, as a kid, even though it was painful history. But people didn't, you know, people inquired about my, my, my background. Um, they, you know, they inquired about any abuse that I dealt, that I had dealt with because I was transacting. That was that was very much appreciated. Uh, I mean, it wasn't appreciated at the time. I'll make, I'll be, let me be more more clear. Um, but they wanted to be, sh but they, they wanted to be sure that you know I wasn't just a making it up. Although people can make it up all, all, you know, try to make it up all they want. And some people just will pass it through. But they asked enough detailed questions to vet to, to verify that this story was was accurate. Matter of fact, my therapist at one point. Um, before my letters were written, but after our, my therapy had concluded, I said, you know, you know, my mother really has been taking this bath eons. And I actually paid for my mother to have a therapy appointment. Um, my mother was in the, you know, said that she said that she couldn't have a, a trans kid because she'd lose her job. She tried to disown me. She lost her job because she wasn't being friendly to, towards her son. So... At least somebody actually was good on my side. You know, asking about any history of drug use—that's kind of helpful. That's a lot. I'm I'm so surprised that 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 anybody other than you know going to going to shady surgeons like when like um, like cosmetic surgery. You know, I'm surprised that anybody could go through this level of of. Um,
medical intervention, because in order to do this, you have to have a high level of medical intervention without being asked about your family history and, um, and uh, your upbringing and, and your drug use and your alcohol use and your sec your full sexual life. And I mean, I, maybe I'm naive, but to me that it's just incredibly surprising that that wouldn't all be covered in great detail. No, a lot of places don't. And that's because most people are so, Oh, you're trans? Oh, because they they so want to be overly helpful that they're not asked, that they're not being really good for their patients. They're, you know, being too permissive, letting anybody just here's your letter and start in a in a in a day. I'm like, or you know, one session. It's like, you know, anything about this person outside of the fact they wandered into your your office, stating that they were trans. I mean. Now all of a sudden you're just going to hand them a letter for hormones after a session or maybe only two sessions? Really? They don't. They've never previously lived as a member of the, of the opposite sex. They do not know what it takes to what it is like. It can be very, very problematic. Yeah, I imagine so. I mean, I don't. I, I, I guess there will always be shortcuts. I mean, I was just about to say I, I, I just find it hard to believe, but I don't. I guess there will always be shortcuts, but it's. There are always going to be, um, you know, for example, there might always be a therapist that um, realizes there's a niche for a trans for trans in that area, a trans person or a trans uh, therapy in the area. And they might say that they're going to just do that and and get that illusion out that they're that they're basically a, a trans specialist and and every all the trans people are going to come to them because they're not truly being a gatekeeper. So there's that. I mean, I see that that's going on right now in where I am. Well, because you said you didn't last time we, we didn't discuss where I was. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's one just a, just like five miles up the road, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Doing the same thing. I know because I met one of her um, her, pa her uh, patients who I don't think should be transitioning. And I, I mean, is it possible? Do you think that somebody could be bona fide? transgender and um, eventually transition, um, but the timing is wrong. There's always, there, well, first of all, there is never, ever a good time to transition. Mm -hmm. Let me state that right there. There will always, you know, transition costs money. It will always disrupt your life. You know, um, if there are certainly some times that are worse times than others and certainly times that are best times than others. You know, it's better to do it earlier in your life where you don't have, where, for example, you know, um, when you go to college, you know, your name has already legally been changed. It's stuff you don't have to change in the past, you know, you know, later. I can't put up my um, my uh, high school, or my, not, not high school, well, I can't put up my high school thing either. I can't put up my college uh, diploma, uh, diplomas, degrees, whatever you want to call them, because they're in the wrong name. So, I mean, it would have been easier for me to do it earlier in life. I should have got my name changed to my nickname way prior than it would, then I could still use it. I, again, what I was thinking more of, there are times where I wouldn't ever advise people making major decisions or major changes. Like, so, for example, um, if they've recently lost a parent or they've recently lost a, a spouse or a close partner, that's not the time to make other big changes, those sorts of things. I, I completely agree. That would be a bad time. Um, 
and I'm not sure how many people decide to transition after something like that, or a loss of a kid, a loss of you know divorce, what whatnot. Um, I have no idea how any people opt to do that. But if you you know, but if people have enough money, they're going to do what they do anyway. I'm I hoping, I'm hoping that the therapist, if they're seeing one, says you might want to delay, or or just do or just move slowly because you're dealing with. It's just that even if even though you know this is the right thing for you, and even though you've been sure of that for as long as you can remember, it is going to bring up lots of issues. And so deciding not to take the biggest steps at the same time that other issues are all up in your face makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I transitioned fairly slowly. Um, and I actually got a lot of flack from the community because I didn't decide that you know, in one in one year that I was going to get everything done at, at once. I, you know, by the time I actually got my stuff set up, yeah, I could move that fast. But this stuff was a long time in process. I had been living part time very, very quickly, you know, for a very long time. I lived full time for for almost six, almost six months before I saw my therapist, and I didn't immediately go to the doctor right after you know the therapy concluded. I took a few months, got my name changed. Then said, okay, because I just happened to know that it was it was getting to be time because I was starting to stress out. Then it took a few months after the name change before I said, okay, it's time to go. Here's the doctors I'm selecting because I could finally get in to see them. Um, and then I ended up with horm with hormones and, and top surgery, you know, just under a year from the start of therapy. I know people who are moving way who who try to move way faster than that, and that's never helpful. And I've only had the had top surgery. I haven't had any other surgeries. Um, though people have people tried to pressure me into having having the next level of surgery within a few within a few months after top surgery, well, which well, wasn't right for me. Why would somebody try to pressure you into into doing more? Um, well, first of all, there is a huge pressure in the community. If you haven't gotten as you know haven't gotten everything done, you're not truly trans. To which now I now know we can curse on this, to which I say fuck you. Um, you know everything. Everybody wants to do what they want to do. Yeah, you know, if I don't want to have a hysterectomy, I don't think I should have to have a hysterectomy. I even had doctors. I had doctors trying to uh, get trying to pressure me into having the hysterectomy right after top surgery. What, what I That's find what I find so strange about so strange about that that is that I know. I, I, and so I think this isn't, you know, different communities are different. I know in some communities, the, the differentiation between transsexual and transgender is that transsexual folks, many of them don't go through either any surgery or all, all the surgery, whereas transsexual folks do. And so so nobody would say, oh, you're, you're not transgender if you didn't get the next step because it would be considered normal for being transgender as opposed to transsexual. Well, just remember transgender people don't, don't, uh, have, don't generally have any medical surgeries or anything by that point, they're transsexual. Right. So transgender, general transgender people who can remember, that's a very, very broad umbrella. That's right. I know. That's what I was saying. So, so the, the idea that there's so much pressure, I mean, why wouldn't they just leave you as being, you know, the trans community, uh, especially the female to male community, is basically a, um, my, you know, my imaginary dick is bigger than your imaginary dick. 
let's be real, that's how it works. And um, from what I've seen, it's not that much drastically different in the in the uh, male to female community. Uh, but it's it's slightly different. It's more cat like typical female cattiness. But in guys, they'll the the female some of the some of my my colleagues, which I could say colleagues, but that's not really the right word. Some of the other tra trans people are you know they they are really really um, you know they. You know, have 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 anger issues. Let's let's say that, or something. Some of them are highly aggressive, and you know, I always make fun make fun of them at this point. Going, what's wrong? Your t are your T levels too high? Because that's not normal. If you have that much anger issues, you probably shouldn't have transitioned. I mean, I know that a lot of people have um, reactions to testosterone. I I know that. I know a lot of people have reactions to testosterone. If it makes you angry, your dose is probably too high. I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm, most not I'm not. Males, they're calm. They get calm. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I'm not sure that that it's necessarily a dose thing. It might also be a not knowing how to manage that intensity. That that it, because you haven't felt okay. it before. They have actually done. First of all, they've they've done tests that the the most angry angry and violent type people have an extreme that either are extremely low in T or extremely high in T. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what they, they did a genetic, they did uh, these tests. So either these people were really low or really high. If for, to a transsexual brain, a female to male transsexual brain, giving the, t the, the hormones usually almost, I, I'd say about 90% of the time, actually takes away all the anger or most of the anger. I am almost in, you know, unfazable um, on, when I'm on testosterone. When I when I'm off testosterone, all you know, all bets are off. Um, I get moody, I get angry, I get everything else. But if you put give me my my doses, you know, I it, it's it's a very calming sensation. I've seen a lot of people that they go on their testosterone, uh, and then uh, suddenly they start they start to mellow out as 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 people. Cool. Yeah, Great. So let's let's talk some about kind of dating and sex and 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 getting together because that's one of the other things you know we talked earlier about people can be really rude and intrusive about asking questions but um, I mean, I thought I thought one of the things that, that that should be raised is that gender is gender and sexuality and sexual orientation are also different and so that there are people who are transgender and homosexual and they're. Yep. And, and there are people who are transgender and bisexual. And there are people who are transgender and heterosexual. That's definitely, definitely correct. Right. Yeah. And that confuses, I think that the average person who, you know, my listeners are really broad based. The average person who hasn't had a lot of contact with people who are transgender and transsexual don't really get that. So they don't realize that somebody could be male biologically to start with and then transition to female and still be sexually interested in females. Yep. That, um, that definitely does happen. I mean, it's always, it's always very interesting because also a lot of times the hormones will change your orientation and you never know which way it's going to go. Right. Um, uh, that's one of those funny, fun, fun facts. But um, yeah, I mean, people don't really get that. 
people may have made all sorts of assumptions about my orientation. They used to think I, I was a lesbian. Despite the fact I've never been with a woman, have no interest in being with a woman. I was, I'm married to a man. I'm still married to a man. We're about to celebrate 18 years. Uh, we haven't killed each other yet, so I think that's a good sign. Um, that poor man's been through a sex change on with me and a conversion, so I am definitely not the woman he married in any way, shape, or form. Um, but people actually also also think that, I, that at some point in my life I've been attracted to women. They don't do anything to, to me. Not before tea, not after tea. They don't really do much. They're interesting to look at, but I'm not sexually attracted to them. You know, I'm I, I had those body parts. So you went from being you went from being heterosexual to homosexual. Yes. Because your because your attraction never changed. My attraction never changed. Right. And uh, it goes by what you know, what the orientation that the orientation goes by the gender, which confuses everybody, I think. Um, so if you are if you identify as male and are attracted to men, you are gay. Gay, right. You know, yeah, the only time I, the only reason I look at women now is because I'm sitting here going, you know, I couldn't have pulled that off as a, as a woman. Oh, that looks really cute, you know, or, or by the way, I mean, this, was, this outfit would look better on you. Um, but I, I have a friend, that, now it takes me shopping, now it takes me shopping because I can tell her what's going to fit her. <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing that, that's the thing that, that I think people get confused about. So, um, I remember being told uh, being told by a client that um, he was looking forward to the transition. He was he was just starting to live as a female, so he was still using the pronoun he. He said I was looking he was looking forward to truly being she, when he could date men. I think he and client was, but was, he would was, never was, but he would never have dated men with male biological parts. He wasn't willing to do that. He said, because he said, I'm not gay. And I always thought that was really interesting, you know, because he, he felt very, very strongly about that. He wasn't gay. Well, there, the fact is, is I do know, especially a lot of um, people who claim that they're male to female, who claim to be, to claim to be male to female. Let's wait, a, let's wait a second, because I knew this was going to happen. Are you guys done? <sighs> do, do, do. I specifically asked for somebody else to come and deal don't, with this. Don't worry about it. Okay. I actually know several male to people who at one point claimed to be male to female just because they could not handle themselves as identifying as gay. It took them, uh, they, they were some of the people who detransitioned. De they basically were so homophobic that they had to perceive themselves as a female in order to justify their attraction to men. That's interesting. And that happens a lot as well. So when you're setting up to date somebody, do you only date within the LG? Well, you're not. You're married, so it doesn't apply to you. But I'm polyamorous, though. Okay, that's right. That's right. Okay, so where you, okay, so great. So we can talk about dating makes life easier. Yeah, I mean, do you, we can. I, mean, I just haven't had a lot of success since I transitioned. Well, I was going to say, do you, I mean, do you date within the LGBT community or do you look outside of the community? Uh, yeah, I will, you know, it, 
how people identify is their, is their business. You know, I don't have a very good success rate because, you know, most female to, to male transsexuals don't have a really good success rate. Um, I have, you know, the only people who seem to be interested in the average female to male, at least my experience, are people who are who are tranny chasers, um, who are who who are possibly confused or who are dealing with their own um, gay issues themselves. That's why that's been my experience. Now I have dated some some straight guys, um, but I also have you know a vagina. So and most of them I I was very close with before I finished transitioning. I was socially transitioned and not medically transitioned. Right. So that's a huge that that's a huge issue. I mean, I know a number of couples that are married where um, he's female to male and she's cisgender female. So I do know quite a few couples like that. That happens. That that happens. You know, that happens a fair amount. Because when you because with a if you take a female to male for whatever reason, and I do not know why this is, so many people's orientation ch uh, changes, and but you never know where it's going to go. Like a third will end up gay, a third will end up straight, and a third will end up basically bi or something. Um, bi is the closest thing, but some of them don't identify as bi. You know, I know. But it, bisexual. Yeah. Um, and and mo and a lot of them were only were very ex you know very exclusive to one over the other. So apparently uh, there was a joke at one point of how do you how do you how do you make a, a dyke like man? Give him a give her a shot of testosterone, um, because of the chain. It's so many like lesbians switching to being gay men. Um, so I mean, there, there, there's you never know what's what's going to happen. I would be happy if anybody came to me and actually was just polite. I don't care if they're in the community or not in the community. Being transgender is not my primary identity. So. It, yeah. it, I mean, yeah, no, we had talked about that last time. So here's something. So if somebody can't tell, right, doesn't know what gender the person they're approaching is, I'm going to ask it the question in two ways. Okay. Right? If, if I don't know and I'm approaching somebody who's trans and I don't know they're trans, and I'm not going to say that wouldn't happen to me because you never know. Right. And I don't know. When should that person tell me? That they're trans? That's right. We're flirting. We're going out on a date. When should that person tell me? Well, that that really varies, I, I would say, because there's there's really a never good time to tell. Um, but it would probably be better to do it earlier in the relationship is my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, because if the other person cannot handle dealing with a trans person, they probably should not be dating a trans. That's right. That's right. But certainly, it must occur before they hop into bed. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, people also have to be close. Have to be close enough that if you do come out as being trans, you have to know that this person isn't going to blab from from you know a, a, across town because some people are stealth. Yeah, and, I know. I, it's just people, what, it's just like. But it's, it's one of those things. It's like um, I got asked the question um, by a matchmaker, when is the right time to tell somebody that you're kinky? And I said, well, you know, in, in, in my as, as a sex coach and psychologist, my view is a sooner rather than later. Um, and that one of the things that I noticed that's so interesting is that um, 
lots of heterosexual couples who are not kinky don't talk about sex before they have sex. Mm -hmm. They may not talk about sex until there's a problem with sex. They just have sex. There's no conversation about what do you like, what don't you like, nothing. Whereas if, if you're kinky, um, conversations happen beforehand yeah. because the idea is to try and find somebody whose kinks match with your kinks. So, um, and so, I mean, I think that everybody should have conversations before jumping into bed, not because I'm against jumping into bed on the first date, but because I believe that if you talk about it, you have a much better chance of having a good time past that first date than if you don't. Um, I agree. Plus, it prevents you from wasting too much time on somebody who there's no way. You're indeed, gonna... indeed. I mean, and so, it, you know, it was. Uh, I've had somebody ask me this question. And I had somebody send this question in, which is, you know, well, when do I tell the person? When do I say, well, by the way, I'm transgender and I'm this this far through transition and, you know, this is what I'm planning. Um, and my advice was right up front as soon as possible because people can react really funny and they can feel very much betrayed mm -hmm. if they didn't figure it out for themselves. They'll feel embarrassed that they didn't figure it out for themselves. So, you know, it's, it's. Oh, my personal favorite is when people always tell me, wow, you, you fooled me, dude. As if my job is to basically trick you. I can't even tell you how many how many times I've gotten stuff like that. I'm like, you know, or wow, you own, you own, you you know, you 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 actually did fool me. Well, wow, you're really good at 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 being a guy. I hope I'm be I'm good at being a guy since that's what I am. Well, and that was the thing that I was going to say. You know, when somebody says that, that, the reason that it feels so bad, of course, is because it's dismissive of what of who you are. You, you know, you're not you're not dressing in drag here. You know, this is you, and and so by saying to you. Hey, you really fooled me. Wow, you're really good at being a guy. They're saying like you're pretending to be a guy. You're not pretending to be a guy. You are a guy. And that's another thing that I think a lot of people who haven't had a lot of contact with people who are transgender or transsexual don't understand. Like people complain about pronouns, you know, which pronouns to use. Um, and I've heard therapists say, yeah, yeah, I know I should, I should use the, you know, but we're, you know, the, the person isn't here. So we'll just use, I'll just call them by their biological gender. And I'll, and I'll be like, actually, you, you know how disrespectful that is? You may not understand why this person wants to be called yo or they, or right. You may not understand that, but that's how they identify. And by, by, not doing it, even if the only time you don't do it is out of their sight, you're invalidating their whole existence. That's true. Oh, and, and regarding the, the pronoun situation, look, everybody screws up. That's it's, different. It's really bad about it. Some people will just continue to be jerks about it. But here, here's a newsflash, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna this is this one goes out to the trans people who are early stage. People are going to screw up. It's, sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with you. That's it right. It's not them trying to be, be jerks. Sometimes it's simply that they've known you for she, 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 and now you're, now you're transitioning. They're going to fuck up. It happens. Yeah. It gets better as you pass more. They will start. It, 
it's a you know, they'll fix themselves. Yeah, no, I mean, I you know, I certainly have screwed up. I have people that I have friends and colleagues with with so many different pronouns. I have one friend who changes pronouns every few months. I love her to bits. And as she struggles, I'm okay, not quite every few months. There was a period when it was every few months. I love her to bits. And when she's struggling with her identity, she will often find that whatever pronouns she'd been using, and I'm using she now because I believe she's she at the moment. Um, That's what I was about to ask. Is yeah, she right now? Yeah, she's she right now. She hasn't told me different. Um, you know, whatever whatever she, whatever feels right to her at the that time is the pronoun she'll use. And she'll tell everybody. And so that's great because then we're all told. Um, but because it's been a number of changes, I, I, you know, I was queen of the screw up. I'd get the the pronoun before. I'd always get stuck on the one, the last one, and not the current one. Um, but then I apologize and just and just sort it out. I mean, people are very understanding. If you are genuinely, you've made a mistake and you apologize and you accept them for who they are and do what they're asking you to do. Yeah, I, I just know a lot of trans people like it really bent out of shape for people yeah. that have known for 30 years. I'm like, you know what, I was there, I I correct them. I, you know, I, I, I have got relatives that are still misgendering me. At a certain point, they're in their 80s. What are you going to do? At a certain point, you can't yell at them. Well, and then, <laughs> well, and in situations like that, I mean, I, I, as a therapist, I want to say, so why is it so important to you that you know Grandpa Jim Bob, who's ninety-two years old, and who for all of your life except for the last year has called you he, cannot get his head around calling you she, if he's still loving you and not kicking you out of the room. If he's not coming out with expletives because of what you've done and he's understanding, isn't that enough? I mean, that wouldn't be enough for a 40-year-old who couldn't be bothered to make the effort to give you your correct gender, right? But for somebody who's in their 90s or their 80s, it, it's about how secure you are in yourself, I think. If I may, I've got a I've got a bit of a story that happened just a few years ago. Um, I was going to my father, who we haven't seen each other in a number of years, and he actually decided he was going that you know my dog had had just passed away it was one that he actually purchased for me, and he invited me um, when I after I said you know Kylan passed, he invited me to Thanksgiving dinner, and I was willing to actually do this because I figured this was the olive branch, and I and um, he said you know. Your, your your grandmother is, is going to be present. Uh, you know, she might screw up your na your name and gender. I said, you know, I don't care if she does. She's in her 90s. But then he, now he's in his 60s. My dad's in his, you know, 60s. I've, I've transitioned years ago. So over 10, God, over 10 years is when I started socially transitioning. I feel so old right now. Um, 15 years, oh my God, now I really feel old. And, and But he started screwing up. And I said, I don't mind it if it's from Nanny. She's in her 90s and has Alzheimer's. You don't. And he got so disrespectful. He became so disrespectful. I said, you know what? I, I can't do this. I can't be around you. Nanny, I don't mind. And I hope, and I hope that I'm able to see her be again before she dies since I haven't seen her in 15 years. 
I didn't get to see her because she passed away the, the, uh, within a few months. Um, but this is all because my father was basically being a jerk. He could have been nice about it. But he, this was a situation of him being a jerk. He didn't wrap his, his he couldn't, he, he pretended he couldn't wrap his head about it. You know, he, he could have done this this whole time. I was never going to basically get a hold of my, you know, complain about my grandmother screwing up. Because she's in her 90s. What you going to do? And I know there's also a, a hard balance between how much educating of people that you do and how much it, it's on the people, the other, the, the, the people in, in your life to actually ask the questions to get themselves educated because there's a big difference. That there's a difference between you being responsible for educating everyone and me being an adult and responsible for asking the questions so that I don't continuously do things or say things that are upsetting to someone who's transitioning or who's, do you see what I mean? I, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's basically both people but that basically have to yeah. be the Now, I basically do this all the time. I educate more people than I even want to admit to. I can't even imagine how many people I've actually spoken to about these issues at, at this point, one way or another, between the, the, the public speaking and the, and the classes that I've been brought in to teach. Who knows? I've stopped asking questions. I don't want to calculate it out. It's been several thousand, I can tell you that. Um, and I'm very, I'm very open, and I know the questions that are going to be, a, that are going to be asked, so I try to, to, to already answer them. But, you know, some things I don't, I'm not even going to think about until somebody asks, but, and I will answer it provided they ask me respectfully. And, you know, we're not in, say, public unless I'm publicly teaching a class. Yeah. I mean, and I know. Asking, Do you like to fuck? Which well, is mostly somebody but I mean, but I think I think for for this show, that's that's a valid question. It's it's because everybody's different. Everybody's different. So um, what I what I know, because I don't need to personalize it, but what I know is that some trans folk who still have their original genitalia don't want that particularly touched. Right. There are some people that don't, and some do. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't mind, you know, I'd, pre I'd prefer a ton to fingers because fingers are rough. That's, that's basically the only thing I can say, you know, but, you know, a lot of people don't want to go anywhere near that, that Yeah, area. no, I, I mean, I'm thinking about female, you're, you're forbidden from touching certain things. I hated my boobs grabbed uh, unless it was in a sexual context. My husband would always grab my boobs randomly and I'd be like, boy, if you touch my boobs again, I will remove your hand. You know, same thing with my butt. Did, don't do that because it was, it was just not appropriate time to do so. I would tolerate it if we were in the bedroom, but this was like more out in public. Um, so that's just a disrespect on his part, regardless of whether or not I was. Identified yeah, but I mean, I can think of I can think I can think of um, of a number of people that I know quite well who are um, well. One just doesn't identify as trans anyway. One just identifies as as stone butch, and that's. Um, but um, um, but a number of people who are trans that I know and who do not like um, their vaginas being touched. It's like, yeah, you can touch my clitoris. And that's it. They're all on hormones, so their clitoris is enlarged. 
Oh yes, right. trust me. Right. And you will, you will notice the enlargement. Yeah, no. And so, I mean, quite enlarged, you know, but what, what <laughs> one person, my, my OBGYN asked uh, when I, before, he's also an endocrinologist, but he wasn't writing my hormones at the time. He asked me if I was on testosterone. I said, yeah, I've been on testosterone a few, a few months. And um, I don't think he actually believed me until he did the pap smear. He's like, yep, you're on testosterone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so for those, um, people in the audience who don't know. So the clitoris enlarges and it becomes like a small penis. And if you know your anatomy, that makes perfect sense because they're built pretty much similarly, pretty much the same. The clitoris does some of the same things during sex. It's just that because it's hidden and most of it's inside the body, women don't realize it. So women get erections during sex, during arousal the clitoris becomes engorged and erect. And if you could see the whole thing from, from the inside of the body to the outside of the body, it would be like looking at a, a, a penis. But because you can't, most people. trust me, if you, when you go on hormones um, yeah. and get really, really aroused, you will start to notice yes. that. Yes, yeah. And so, and so I know a number of um, female to male trans folk who are quite happy for you to back play with that. That's what they say. They say that's, that's their sexual organ. That's how they look at it. Um, they identify that as their small penis. That's how they look at it. And they do not want the vagina touched. I also, I also know that there are people who don't mind. I'm one of the people who don't mind. I just like warning before all of a sudden I have a, a, a finger there or whatnot, you know, but in all fairness, I I'm, I'd rather play with that hole than 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 the other one. So, and there are other female to males that will only go anal sex, no no vaginal. Yeah. My thoughts are, is, you know, I have the the hole that was is much more comfortable to to, to have sex with. I'm happy to use it. So I mean, you know? I, I I guess I guess kind of for me the, the the lesson has always been that that's one of the main reasons you need a conversation before sex, because if you do reach out to touch boobs, when somebody doesn't want boobs touched, if you reach out to touch vagina or butt, when somebody doesn't want them touched, you will not only stop the activity, but probably put quite a, a damper on things going any further. So it's really better to find out. Not just. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just like, you know, if you know when you're about to have sex, have it right before then. Yeah, that's I mean, the company. You don't have, to have this discussion on the first date, which some people do. Well, you, you know. can. I mean, some people do. If, um, if they if they're attracted to somebody and they know they're attracted to them, then they have a sex discussion on the first date. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, you know you're attracted to the person, you know you'd like to jump into bed with them. Great, have the conversation then. But uh, but I wouldn't wait and. You can wait for the how do you like to have sex part of the show unless you are somebody who feels who would find it hard to avoid areas of your partner's body. Because some people find that really hard. Yeah, if, you know, I, I would suggest that people that are, you know, men that are boob men probably should not date a female to male transsexual, for example. Because those boobs might not remain. Well, I, I know very few female to male transsexuals who had boobs for very long. As soon as they could get top surgery, they did. Um, but yeah, but there's the trans, the social transition aspect. Too. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, I think it's important to to kind of figure 
to, to recognize that there's two parts to this. One part is the how do you like to have sex part. And the other part is the how do I honor your orientation and your gender? Because that's going to be important in a relationship. If it's a curiosity to me, if, if, if it's simply being fetishized, if someone's gender is simply being fetishized, that doesn't bode well for a relationship. And I've had people that are that are very uh, interested in that. And, you know, my, you know, my my orientation is my orientation. You know, my husband's is his. Um, he doesn't identify as gay, as an FYI. He identifies as a straight guy. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to work out well because he's, you know, he identifies as as a guy. He does prefer women. He just happens to be married to a female to male transsexual who identifies as gay. Now, when it comes down to it, it's it's not. It could be a, it could be a worse match, um, but you know there are a lot of people out there that do the fe- the fetish thing, and that just yeah. That and, and and what we mean by fe- what I mean by fetishizing is that is that what you're interested in is the fact that the person is transsexual or transgendered. That that's what's attractive, not the individual, and that that that's problematic. Yeah, I mean that between between the trans thing and my job, uh, I've got two. Tr- Two two fetishes that people should be going after me are going after me for now, um, but I'm not reciprocating because that's not how I'm I'm not interested in somebody who's just interested in me for my job, because um, I can't I mean I, that's just that's just bad ethics all around, and you know or people that are just interested in, in me because I'm trans. I happen to be a person who is trans and ha- and is a person who is a hypnotist. I'm not just right you now. Well, that I think that's a really good place for us to leave this. Because I, I like that statement. I am a person who is. I am not that thing, which I think is really important. Um, and I want to thank you again for joining me. Thanks um, for having me. It, my pleasure. And anybody who would like to find Melvin, um, the links to his website, After Hours Hypnotherapy, um, is on the website with the with the um, podcast notes. Um, there's also a link to Facebook and to Twitter and to his YouTube channel. Thanks for joining me for Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Do write to me with suggestions for the show, questions you want answered at drbisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram where I'm Dr. Bisbee and on Facebook where I believe it's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And do check out my YouTube channel, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. For a free 30-minute strategy session with me, go to www.the-intimacy-coach.com and click on the button that says Schedule Now. If you find this interesting and you are interested in hearing more, do subscribe to the podcast and please leave a review. Um, There's also the blog and um, a newsletter. And if you head over to the website, you can sign up for the newsletter and grab yourself uh, an interesting free ebook. I look forward to seeing you next week when I'll be doing part three of this series of gen- on gender and I will be interviewing Dr. Meg John Barker. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com 
to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.